Hey there, we'll start the Cloudcast in just a second. But if you're listening to this podcast, you already know that the IT transformations we're going through today depend on a lot more than just the raw technology itself. I'm John Mark Troyer, and I am organizing The Reckoning, a conference in Half Moon Bay, California, on September 13th and 14th. At The Reckoning, we'll talk about how technologists can take charge of their careers, communicate more effectively, and create a future IT that does not suck. Invest in yourself and come join us at this community event. Listeners of the Cloudcast can get $100 off by using the code CLOUDCAST. Go to signup.techreckoning.com to register. Now here's Brian and Aaron from the Massive Studios with another exciting episode of the Cloudcast. Cloudcast Media presents, from the massive studios in Raleigh, North Carolina, this is The Cloudcast with Aaron Delb and Brian Gracely, bringing you the best of cloud computing from around the world. Good morning, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome to another episode of The Cloudcast. We're coming to you live from MesosCon here in Seattle. Um, Again, first off, a huge thank you to the Lanx Foundation once again for having us as a media sponsor for the event. Um... Got a great guest today. Wanted to really... He has his own podcast, first of all. <laughs> but, but The data center show. Yes, exactly. But wanted to talk to Derek Harris. Um, I believe the title is Senior Research Analyst, correct, at Mesosphere? Yes. Okay. <laughs> and so first of all, let's kind of go back a little bit. Um, did some excellent work at GigaOM. And without kind of, you know, like we were saying earlier, you know, opening up the scabs and pouring salt in the wounds. Um, how did you end up at Mesosphere? And, and what are you kind of working on these days as, as doing research there? Well, well, so how did I end up at Mesosphere? If you, if you, if you were a GigaOM reader, you probably recall that the GigaOM had an unceremonious demise earlier this year. So uh, I was unemployed. <laughs> and... It, I mean, it was so. So yes, I, I was unemployed. I, you know, started getting job offers were coming in, and Mesosphere was Mesosphere. I always pronounce it wrong. I'm gonna call it Mesosphere. <laughs> Mesosphere was. I know how to say Mesos. Nick, the whole Nick, word Nick I you, you have to vote. Vote here. What's your vote? Is it Mesos? Mesos? I, I like Mesos. Okay. Yeah. yeah, me too. But when I say the whole thing, I want to say Mesosphere for some reason. But we're gonna go Mesosphere. Right. So, so Florian, the CEO of Mesosphere, reached out and. Said, hey, you should come work for us. And I'd, I'd always thought, hey, what's it like to go work for a startup? Is that something I'd like to do? I'd been in, in, in journalism for so long. So um, I, I, I jumped on it and I gave it, a, I gave it a go. So that's how I ended up here. Cool, cool. And cool. what do I do, you asked? Yeah. Well, so the, the title research analyst is funny. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, Did you get to pick it, first of all? It was suggested. What happened was I said... I don't want the word, con- this is the old, you know, the journalist part of me. I don't want the word content in my title at all, because that's a, that's a dirty word. Fair <laughs> enough, fair fixes. enough. But, but, but I, I don't do a lot of research, as it turns out. I, I, I am helping out with analyst relations. Um, I've, I've been on the, the client side of the Gartner relationship now, which is, a, you know, an interesting experience if you've never done that. Um, I have, actually. <laughs> not, not for the, my, my present-day job, but one of my other day jobs. Yes. Completely agree. Interesting <laughs> is a good way to put Should it. Should we yes. have another podcast just about that? No, that yeah, that's multiple beers and no recording for, for that particular conversation. I will, say, <laughs> I, I will say that I've enjoyed <laughs> working with them so far. They're very uh, they're, they're very accommodating. But the 
and, and the other, and then so I, so so I, that's a, that's a small part of my job. And a, the majority of it, I write a lot of blog posts for a blog. I help out, you know, with you know s- some ideas around um, product messaging and launch and strategy. I run this other publication called Scale, which I have the company blessing to do. So yeah, and we were actually going to talk about that. So so Scale is is really focused on kind of large scale data centers and data analytics and and. So let's actually talk about that. So what kind of trends or, or new ideas are really interesting to you in that space right now? Well, so, so I mean, without going, without going too Mesos-y, even though we're here at MesosCon, I think, <laughs> I, think, I, I think, you know, Mesos was something I was tracking before joining the company. And, and that just the whole idea of, you know, when cloud computing first came into vogue about a decade ago, a little less than that, right, um, there was a lot of, it seemed like the early adopters and, and a lot of the early use cases were like, we're, gonna, well, we're just going to take this application that we built as web app and we're going to port it onto Amazon and now we're using cloud computing. And, but w- when I first started thinking about cloud computing, you know, I, think, I think about it in, a, in, the, in the architecture <laughs> diagram sort of way. So to me, it wasn't like the cloud was necessarily where the servers were located. It was what the servers looked like. <laughs> Right, so, so so I always looked at the we you know no one talked about containers really back then, but my vision of cloud computing was always at least early on was well this should play out like how Google runs or like how Facebook runs right where you kind of have you know these various terms have been floated around throughout I remember some point people were calling like application virtualization or something but it's essentially this idea of pool of resources you know how how can you how can you automate scheduling that sort of thing so and so that's you know that's always been one of my visions, I guess, for how I thought the cloud was going to play out. Like, you actually operate like a data center, like an internet company or a cloud provider, if you will, and not just consume resources from them. So I thought, I mean, that's something that's really interesting. And obviously there's, you know, the, the data space just keeps maturing. Yep. And I think that's been, you know, when you look at data center trends, like, you know, comp- people are designing for, you know, these new types of workloads, which more and more include, you know, Hadoop as... Hadoop, or you know, some as some sort of de facto right. thing in there, right? And I think I think that's a trend that keeps growing. And then I mean, there's the container trend overall. That's I mean, clearly, sure. unless you've been under a rock for the past two years, you've been paying attention to that. So there, I mean, there's a lot of interesting things. I, deep learning, which is I covered a lot of AI and deep learning uh, at Giggle that's the thing. I mean, that's I mean, not this is I won't call it a huge data center trend, but when you start when you start thinking about how you're gonna you know the, the new types of things, the new types of applications, the new types of data analysis you want to do at some point. I think that's going to be a big trend. Like, how do we, how do we design a data center to account for the fact that we might want this big GPU farm, right? Or we want to run these new algorithms. It's so. definitely a new emerging workload, which is going to. Yeah. It becomes almost a component of a lot of the new applications. Like you write your next application is intelligent or better than your comp- competitor because you've used deep learning correctly. Right, and so yeah, I mean, but right now architecturally. It, it, it requires a different set. If you're going to do oh, that yeah. in house, it requires a different. Way it's not. Of it's definitely so. not a distributed thing yet by any means. It's very much of a big GPU assigned schedule thing. But it's uh, and it's it's it, the frameworks are really getting to a point now where it's 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 getting more accessible though. So people are trying to figure out what they really want to do with it. Yeah, but I think that yeah, it's one of those it's one of those applications going forward. I think that's going to make people think about. You know, they're going to they're going to design for that as yeah, a yeah. de facto or default yeah. use case. So 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 between. Awesome. Machine learning and big data, we're going to have Skynet. 
<laughs> well, deep, deep learning. Yeah, deep. So, and and that's you know pretty much what the in, Intel Developers Forum was for earlier this week, right? Right now. Yeah, but I'm just kidding. <laughs> you, you, you did see our giant robots, right? I did. I they, did. They do run off deep learning. Yeah, that's. <sighs> Don't get me started on that. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not a big, I'm not a big doom and gloom. Yeah, no, sorry, it, it's actually funny because at Mesosphere, Christos, you, if, you, if anybody's listening to this podcast, you can corner Christos and ask him what deep learning is. He'll, he'll jump, he'll, he'll get really excited and let you know that deep learning is just dense matrix multiplication. It's not magic. And he'll, he'll walk you through like the mathematics. Like this has been around for a while. It's just getting better. It's really funny because he de- definitely doesn't buy into the whole AI taking over the world thing. Well, I mean, when you talk to anyone who's I mean, you know, you talk to, like, the Jan LeCoons and the Andrew Wings of the world. They're pretty... I mean, and, and, and this is their career, so they're, you know, you know, I would say inclined to boast right. about the capabilities. But the reality, it's so far. When yeah. you read, like, if you read this book, Super Intelligence, which I panned at one point and got, like, killed in the comments. I mean, it's such a big leap yeah. to go from where we are today to... You it's know, a huge it's, leap from that looks like a beach in that picture to <laughs> I, I, I'm going to send you to the beach. Thing, well, yeah, right? and, you, yeah. and it's not just to, to me. It's not just the you know can it, can it, can it recognize a pattern? Can it recognize something? Even if even if you had a cognizant, I don't know, you know, some sort of cognizant or what's the word I'm looking for? Is cognizant the word? I think so. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But it's it's the idea that if just because we had a machine, it would have the same. So people are always like, you can't you can't tell what a machine you can't. You know, presume to know what a machine would think or that it would be human-like. But then they put these human-like aspirations to the machine. Like the machine would want to take over. The machine wouldn't want to be boxed up. The machi- like, so essentially, it does think like a human. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Maybe it would just want to do its job. That would be right. <laughs> yeah. We yeah. can't make it do that quite perfectly yet, anyways. Yeah. No. The, one, the one thing it can't do is its job. Everything else is <laughs> run, run amok. Yeah, completely. So, and, uh, yeah, like I was saying earlier, flip part of that is big data, right? So it's another area you've covered for a, a good while. And the problem I kind of always saw in that space was, was data science skills and being really difficult to find data science skills. And so are you... What's kind of an update there, and are you seeing anything that's kind of making it easier for, for companies to really engage in big data kind of a, <laughs> activities and the technology, right? Yeah, it's funny. I think data science, I mean, the, I, I, as a term, I don't think I hear the word data scientist right. thrown about as much. I think either all of them that have ever going to be hired have been hired have or been just right. changing the names of it. <laughs> it. It was around for a while, though. There, yeah. were, there was a period where it was, they had conferences. It was data yeah. science, scientist conference. Well, yeah. And I mean, Cloudera is actually putting on one, I think, yeah. coming up soon that builds a data science conference. I, I mean, it's still a viable thing. Um, so to get to your point, I think, or your question, I think that what I am, as I watch that space kind of as more of an outsider now, the one thing I've noticed is there's the, I think the tools have caught on, right? So yeah, I think people have come to some idea of what... We've got past the, what is a data scientist? What is data science? And we've gotten down to, here are the tools, here are the tools of the job, and, and people are starting to learn with them, learn them and work with them. And yeah, I mean, things are definitely getting easier. I think, so Cloudera, not to you know, talk of Cloudera too much, but they bought this company, the name of DataPad. Was that the company? The name which escapes me, but... 
it's from the guys who built some of the Python libraries for. Yeah. for, for so for, disclaimer: I do work for Intel, so I am <laughs> right. somewhat related to the cloud. <laughs> so, so yeah, just minorly. So, <laughs> so I think we. But, but to me, when I when I started seeing Cloudera go on this path of first when it bought the company and then it starts to put on this conference, it's saying to me like the the, the big companies are coming around now and they're you know they're they're selling this access to these tools mm-hmm. and Microsoft buying our, I mean, what, and, the micro, and what Microsoft's been doing with Azure machine learning and some of these things. I mean, these things are becoming productized, I did, think, at a much higher level. Did you see the announcement, and, and not to, to pimp Intel cool stuff, but um, the, the announcement about the analytics toolkit, like Intel did all this work in open source to say, let's reduce the friction between an analyst or something wants to like look at data or algorithms and just orchestrate, make them connect to each other, right? And, and, and not that that's a pattern just for day, big data, but um, I see it a lot where you have these experts, right, that want to use computing, but they have a discipline that's different than computing, right? Like the data scientists. Mm-hmm. But that, I'd like to use the computing to do what I want to do. And then the tools, like you mentioned, the tools are getting to a point where, where they're being written for those people but they work on a cloud and scale, right? Like, like you could write a framework for Mesos that could be specifically for one vertical discipline and make that tool extremely easy for them to use in their day use. And I, I see a lot of that being repeated, not just in data science, but in other areas, right? Yeah. And I mean, I mean, obviously there are people working you know, with, within large web companies, especially on the cutting edge yeah. of building new tools. But when you look at the, the toolkit, I mean, Kafka, um, you know, Hadoop, Spark, there are, there are well-funded companies around all these things there are products around all these things now they're not just these closet open source right. projects anymore and, and so mesosphere announced this morning we announced this thing called infinity which is a forthcoming product but it's like a you know one command install of spark uh, cassandra akka and kafka and so i mean <laughs> two years ago, if you had said, oh, I need to install this big data system, it would have been like, in two years, maybe we'll have it installed. It, it, the first thing is, how, how many people do I have to hire, and what are the diversity of the skills I have to have in shop to just do that? <laughs> yeah, and so it, it's, it's, it's the, the obstacles and, and I guess the, the friction points are becoming reduced so greatly that it's, 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 kind, of, it's kind of shocking. I mean, I, I would talk yeah. to a, I an analyst awesome. off, off, or off the record, whatever you want to say, just in a casual conversation recently, and I was, I was asking him about you know what, what they're seeing is like. Oh yeah, well now that now that companies are start, our clients are starting to realize they need Hadoop or they need big data, they're starting to ask like, you know, they're getting down to the real question of how do I deploy it? Right, <laughs> right. Yeah. Which which is which is the point? It's, it's getting a lot easier, so the, the right. tools are really moving fast. Yep. So let's get back to Mesos and uh, Mesosphere real quick. Um, question about use cases: uh, Is this a technology where? We will see lots of customers using this, and you know, large number of customers, but maybe smaller size workloads or smaller installations. Or is this smaller numbers of customers, but really, really large uses usage models? Like, where do you think it's going to fall ultimately? I, I honestly, I think it's going to be both. Okay. And not to not to, not to hedge or dodge the question, but so you know, it's funny when I first started talking with and with Flo and some of the guys in Mesosphere a few years ago. The, it was always, oh, this is what runs Twitter. Oh, Twitter's running less than tens of thousands <laughs> of cores. Oh, and that was, that, that was the hook. That was the exciting thing. It's, built, you know, it's based on like, how Google Borg is and all. And so, so that gets people in. And, and don't get me wrong, Twitter and Apple and some of these, I mean, you've noticed all the Apple people around here. Like, Apple is a legit user and it's a big operation. But 
those are those are the those are the the flagship users. But the one thing I've been seeing is talking to user like especially early Mesos adopters, uh, Yelp, Groupon, um, you know, some startups, a lot of startups even. They're not running it at, at at any kind of scale like that. They're running, you know, they're doing it. And the other thing is like you think use cases might be some. I, I, one company is running it on like five. No, like a dozen nodes or something. Autodesk is using it on a few clusters of a dozen nodes or so a piece. Um, you know, company because I, well, one thing. I mean, that's a that's, an, that's a really important point though, because I, I, I've been in a lot. I've been in a lot of architectural discussions. I and Intel, I have to deal with not deal with. I, I get to the honor of being around because <laughs> it really is an honor, right? Dealing with HPC people have been around for thirty years who deal mm-hmm. with these massive clusters, and then you go talk with an enterprise the next day who only has a hundred servers. And a lot of times that technology that's been around, which is like the Mesos-like stuff, this big super scale, has never been used before because it never could downscale. Yeah. And the ability for something to downscale for the common man instead of the, the university is actually a pretty huge feature in itself. Well, yeah, and the one thing you're seeing is, too, I mean, so, so I came in and I'm thinking, oh, so what are the use cases of, of, of Mesos, right? Well, it's going to be, you know, these, you're running massive web operations. It's going to be these big data pipelines. It's going to be all these things. But a very popular one, it turns out, is just... Uh, continuous integration and continuous delivery and how can we automate you know make it so easy for our developers to deploy an app in a yeah. Docker container and be done well, well it's all set up right we had we, we had the dream of devops and the process devops tooling the books and all this stuff and everybody now that we all want it really really badly we have to have tools that'll actually deliver that yeah so it's just funny i mean it's so not the big you know, the, the big scale out sort of crazy use case pe- people might think of. It's literally like, how easy can we make it right. to, to configure and deploy applications? A lot of people forget that the virtualization, in the early days of virtualization, it was, it was development. Yeah. Like, like VMware made their first big round of money on helping development shops because it was easy to fire VMs up for the two different developers, right? Yeah. And development was actually, is usually a great um, first pain point for a lot of customers because operational cost is huge. Yeah, I mean that being said, I mean Mesosphere already has you know some large and unnamed <laughs> customers, and you know there are there and are, named customers and named ones. There are definitely those, those. There are definitely those those use cases out there. And I think and I think smaller shops obviously will grow right. the technology. I mean already I spoke with some. And they're like, well, listen, here's what we're starting with, and it's really useful. We've got our utilization of our Amazon instances up to eighty percent on average. You know, like that's pretty that's pretty good when they're yeah. down to like fourteen right. or something. But then they say. You know, but now we're looking at deploying Spark, right? Now we want to try this. And if it's just as easy as install and get started, I think it makes it a lot the, it's just so much easier to experiment and, and yeah. try to grow. So People will reuse the utility if it works in one scenario, but it might work in another one. Yeah, I thought some of, the, some of the talks today at the conference were really eye-opening. Two Sigma gave a great one oh, yeah. about the, the hedge fund, about how, how it preempts jobs and how it does this kind of fair... No, it was, it was really good, and, they, and, they, and they, I was in that one. And another interesting thing about that was the tie-in. I, I saw that to the um, the reclamation talk that Ben did earlier, when he was talking about how some of the features in Mesos they want to push for is some of that being native. And so then you get two Sigma talks a little later about how useful that was, and the way they prioritize their workloads, and the way they're able to like sort and give fairness and high utilization at the same time. It's really kind of cool to see those two things, right, one yeah. after another. And then Netflix gave a talk around when Netflix open source. 
its scheduler today and, and talked about some of the same, not, not quite as advanced as Two Sigma, but, but some of the same things. But it gets to the point of, so you want to experiment with this new Spark cluster. Now, maybe you have a dev cluster over there. Maybe this isn't on the production yeah, yeah. cluster. But the idea that you could, you, you could get to the point where you go, okay, I'm going to spin up the Spark cluster. And it's not going to take, you know, it's not going to wreck your job, right? Maybe right. this job won't run for 14 hours until there's, there's space. But like it, the, just the, the limitations and the barriers being removed is really powerful. Yeah, no, makes sense. Switch gears one more time. Um, sometimes we kind of wonder about revenue models um, for companies that are based on open source projects. Um, what was kind of your level of understanding all of this when you were an independent analyst? And, and do you view it differently now that you're kind of on the, the evil <laughs> vendor side, right? Yeah. <laughs> What's your thoughts on all of that? Well, I mean, my thought always was that, you know, for the past several years at least, it was pretty clear that if you don't have an open source component starting off as a new company, even as an existing company, you're kind of... <laughs> I mean, if you look at every, every, every large vendor out there right now has an open source, a yeah. large and growing open source contingent. And, yeah. so you, we, and we've said on the show previously, we, you know, we firmly believe that I think VMware was the last big old-style company. Hmm. But yeah, and you can see it going open source in a hurry too. Right. But besides hardware companies, though, right? Right. So I mean, that's just the way it is. <laughs> but so. So, so yeah, so and to actually answer your question, so so there's so so it's important you have to do it. Now, I will say this: you know, being like the Mesosphere model, which you might call equivalent to the the Cloudera model, you might call it equivalent to a lot of other companies, is open source core, you know, open source free, open source community edition, you know, but, but then you have an actual product, right, that, that you go out there and you sell. That's an enterprise product. It has the added features. It has, you know, you'll go in and install it on premises, for example. You'll, you'll go and really go the extra mile. You'll support it. So, I mean, so that's one, that's one model, and I think that's working well. I think companies who do that are earning money. They're earning revenue um, and you know that the the questionable I won't say questionable, but the one that still to me hasn't panned out. You know, is the entirely open source. You know, just like aside from Red Hat, mm-hmm. but even Red Hat isn't. I mean, if Red Hat sold yeah. software, I mean, it might be a much larger company than it is right now, right? I mean, I think that you know, so so the, the Hortonworks of the world, the MongoDB, the Mongo has some enterprise stuff, but you you, you see these products that are so widely used. And you just wonder the one the complaint you always hear is that the free version is good enough. I don't need to use the paid version. Right. I don't want to pay for the one feature that's in the, right. that, that might be in an enterprise version. It's just, uh, yeah, it's it's tricky to me. I, I don't. I guess I don't know that the time is still time will tell what the there are so many companies that are just doing open source, and then the, you know maybe there's an enterprise edition, maybe there's not. Can you can you rely on support? Didn't really be a huge company. I don't know. I, I always have an interesting, interesting, interesting perspective on that because, um, and this comes from kind of like some of the strategy on, on our side in clouded Intel, and in that we look at things like Jebba's paradox, where um, it's the economic paradox where the easier something is to consume. This is done by the guy that did this Jebba's this research back in uh, coal mining days. Easier it is the easier something is to consume. You actually increase the demand for it. So a lot of times I look at this thing where open source companies and support, and, and yeah, it seems like the revenue would be less. But if you actually make something easier to consume and everybody starts doing it more, you actually increase the demand for it. So I wonder if if we really have like 
solid community backing and things get really democratized out where things that Google's been doing for years become really easy for everybody else, if we don't just grow that market way larger than we ever thought it could be, ultimately. And so ultimately, you end up making maybe even more money is doing support and doing um, curated stuff and helping people deliver it where instead of owning the whole thing and having it completely proprietary. Yeah, I, I, would, I would tend to agree. I mean, a bigger pot... Certainly. I mean, if you look at what Google is doing with Kubernetes, for example, yeah. that's, I mean, they want to make money off it at the end of the day, right? But, right? And part of it is growing a big community of users around it, making it easy to, to, to get started with. But I, I th- the, the one thing that's tricky, to me at least, is like, A, if everything is open source to begin with, you don't, what I'm trying to say, you, 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 there's not always the necessity to go pay someone to support you, right? So you, re- you run that risk. You, you certainly run that risk. The other thing is from a company perspective, if you don't come out and build like a solidly differentiated product around it, you run the risk of Being you know, the open source project is, is the thing. Like the, right. you don't need to... Well, even like, even like think about like customers. Um, I mean, most enterprises, and I, I'm going to speak like enterprise, and I'm going to leave off the big, large... Twitters and the Airbnbs and take them off the list, but going down a little smaller um, in scale, um, there's a lot of companies that still have their main top of line business has nothing to do with technology purely, right? Mm-hmm. It uses it, but for them, technology is is a cost factor, but it's also a bet. And so for them, support's very critical because they have to have some kind of indication where, like, if something goes wrong, I pay these people to cover my butt, right? So there's always going to be that model in place. But then outside of that, if the Disney and GE are both enabling that same open source solution and they're each benefiting it's like that cooperative thing is now involved much more than it used to be right where before it was like i will buy vmware and you'll buy vmware we don't even talk to each other right <laughs> yeah it's weird i mean it's just it's such a different i mean i you know i don't envy companies trying to i guess the companies who are who are who start with this as the 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 baseline <laughs> Have an easy, probably an easier time adopting. But yeah, right. they, there's just so. Look at this conference. I mean, look at the companies that are here. Look at the companies that are everywhere at DockerCon talking right. about how they're using this stuff. And you, you start to, you start to wonder, like, you know, there's there's certainly money to be made. <laughs> and right. but if you're used to selling to those companies, and then and then another, well, I, listen, I was at you know this conference and I was learning about whatever, right? right? Or I've been yeah. talking to the startup that's doing. Right. Something and 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 they 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 made they built the product they know the code <laughs> right. from the ground up like sure. there are all these there are all these I, the thing is things. I mean like Airbnb I mean you think about staying in hotels it, it, it's its name is its brand is just as strong now almost as like Marriott in a lot of ways mm-hmm. right and it's interesting I think how probably valued it more too I mean, but, but probably well <laughs> I mean, good examples Amazon's worth more than Walmart right yeah. And so at a certain point, the, the, the leadership of those companies have got to start looking at the technology patterns these people are adopting and saying, maybe this is the way to, the way to differentiate the business model, top of line apps that I run. And I think it's going to bleed over on these bigger ones as well. Uh, it's it just, I've always said, and again, we, the previous um, podcast, we talked about like, what is the path to it? Like, what is the, what is the transition from, I'm used to, I finally got used to VMs. I used to do physical servers and now I, I've got to go back to physical servers, but with containers on it. How does that look? Yeah, no, I agree. I think there's just a lot of questions about, you know, you know how how, how you sell it, how you yeah. package it. Those are you know, those are important. And then you know, as a from a company, you know, do you cater to developers? Do you cater to CIOs? Do you build this big? I mean, Amazon Web Services came up building this huge base of, you know, bottom up adoption. Yeah, yeah. But then when you're running a company, 
you go, well, where am I, we're going to put my eggs. I have a limited number of resources here. Like, who am I going? I can't, you're not going to write it off like Amazon right, right, for, right. Right. for so long. So there, there are a lot of, I <laughs> yeah. mean, listen, I, I, I guess the long, the short answer is I don't know. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. So I tell you what, we're out of time for this week. Um, Derek, where can everyone find out more about you and what you have going on? Well, they can check out. They can check out the Scale blog. They can listen to the Data Center Show podcast. When they're, when they're done with Cloudcast, you can go to iTunes or SoundCloud and listen. Or listen to both at the same time. Uh, yeah, simultaneous stereo. And then uh, you can uh, on Twitter, too, at, at Derek Harris. Awesome. Nick, I didn't give you a chance on the last show. Anything you want to plug? Um, I like computers. <laughs> so I don't, I don't think you can plug anything anymore. In, we love everybody. There you go. Intel. <laughs> Intel loves everybody. There you go. There's your thought for the day. We want to make everybody's computing power better. There you go. All right. That's that terrible marketing thing, by the okay, way. I don't know why I said that. Yeah, we're, we're just as catchy as Intel inside. Yeah. <laughs> we're cutting you off right now. All right, that's it. <laughs> All right, thank you everybody for your time today, and thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to The Cloudcast. Please visit thecloudcast.net to find more shows, show notes, videos, and everything social media. 